everybody, welcome in. Welcome in to the Total Coverage Podcast here on the SiriusXM Podcast Network. As always, I'm your host, Kirk Morrison, the eight-year NFL veteran, five years in Oakland, a year in Jacksonville, two years with the Buffalo Bills, man, coming to you each and every week as a new edition of Total Coverage, man. 12 weeks in, can you believe it? 12 weeks in into the National Football League. Now we're on our way to week 13 coming up but man we got to go back to what happened in week 12 give you what i see on a week-to-week basis again in national football league you can find this podcast the total coverage podcast is on apple it's on stitcher wherever you get your podcast make sure you log in subscribe give me uh all the comments and feedbacks man i take it with uh with with great humbleness i would say definitely humble to bring you you know nfl talk each and every week but man i got a great great Show for you lined up, man. We're going to talk some Bengals today. Got to get into some Bengals and what they've been doing. So we're going to have my guy, Willie Anderson, the former offensive lineman, Bengals analyst. We'll have him on, come on in just a little bit. After that, man, we got to talk about the Patriots, man. The New England Patriots. Can you believe it? The New England Patriots we're talking about right now as a possible team heading to the Super Bowl. That's how they're playing. So we're going to get to some Patriots a little bit. The Dolphins. Yes, I got to talk the Dolphins. I don't talk the Dolphins at all pretty much on this show. But when you win games, you start doing things, and it looks a little better, yeah, we want to give you a little love. So we'll show the Dolphins a little love. We'll talk about their big victory last week. And then the, whew, the the Packers, are they the best team in the NFL? Not the NFC, the NFL. Yeah, I know that the, obviously the better record goes to the Arizona Cardinals. But, man, I got to tell you this. What I'm seeing from the Packers, that's a team I just don't want to see at all. The Washington football team also had a big win over the Seahawks. Was it more about the Washington football team or is it more about what is wrong with Seattle? We're going to get to all of that here. and Plus also my players of the week and my final thoughts. So, man, this is the Total Coverage Podcast. Make sure you buckle up. All right, let's go for a ride. Man, we're joined now on Total Coverage by Willie Anderson. 13-year NFL career, man. A long time. Selected number 10 overall back in 1996 out of that darn War Eagle out of Auburn, man. (laughs) Five-time All-Pro, five-time Pro Pro Bowler. Only allowed 16 sacks in his 13-year career. The 2022 Pro Football Hall of Fame semifinalist. You can follow him on Twitter at Big Willie 7179. He runs the Willie Anderson Lineman Academy in Dunwoody, Georgia. That's Willie Anderson O Lineman Academy.net, man. So much to get to here with Willie Anderson when it comes to the Bengals. First of all, Willie, how you doing, my man? Thank you for taking the time to join Total Coverage. I'm doing great, man. Appreciate it, bro. I appreciate you, man. We got to talk about these Bengals, man. They 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 have now, I think, taken on sort of a life of its own. But because before, when you thought about the Bengals, you know, team that you've played for, you'd always say, "Man, the Bengals are coming. They're 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 coming, man." You can see it in this season, sitting right now at seven and four. I don't think people are looking at the Bengals as like the old Bengals. This is like some new age high-flying offense, outstanding defense. It just seems that everything is now coming together. What have you seen from the Cincinnati Bengals so far this season, Willie? They've they definitely become a, um, a, a, a better, uh, complete team. As far as mm-hmm. I me mean, looking at, you know, obviously the, the the media talks about, you know, Joe Burrow and the skill guys. But the, this offensive line and D-line, to me, was the reason why they, they won this past game against Pittsburgh. You know, we, we say every year, 
to win the AFC North, your big guys got to play big. You know, you know, your, your big guys got to protect your quarterback. They have to give your running back room to run the football. And on defense, your defensive line, your big guys have to go out and, and, and beat up the other team's quarterback. And I think, um, you know, we, 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 we accomplished that Sunday and, and they've been doing it for the past couple of games. And um, they finally hit their rhythm now where Joe Burrow is not having to throw for 300 yard games to win. Right. They have Joe Mixon in the backfield and they're, they're, they're running the football effectively and stopping the run. And, and then on third down, you got guys coming off the edges, Hendricks and those guys off, off the edges that are applying pressure and making guys turn the ball over. So it's good team football, bro. Yeah, good team football. And you take people take notice when you beat the Steelers twice in one season. That's what the Bengals are doing. Usually it was mm-hmm. like, hey, the Steelers were the big brother of the of the AFC North. But now you've taken them to, out twice in the way that you've done it. What does that say now about the Bengals when it now comes to sort of this shift in the AFC North? You know, man, back back in, you know, just some several years back when, when Marvin Lewis had them as one of the, um, the most talented rosters in the NFL, they just, they just couldn't win playoff games. But from 2011 right. to 15, the Bengals had some unbelievable talent on their team. And they just couldn't overcome overcome that and get that one playoff win. I think this team is similar to those teams. You know, when Marvin came in in 2003, when I was there, you know, we, we were trying to figure out how to win football games, learn how to win. He was turning over the, he was turning over the organization. And we started to win from 03 to 05. And, you know, we lost to Pittsburgh in a tragic loss in 05 where we, we lost Carson in that game. And um, we kept winning a little bit. But 2011 to 15 had a talented roster. And I think this roster is similar to that. Have, I think the quarterback, you know, definitely Joe Burrow is a superstar. But once you start getting that running, that running game going with Joe Mixon, um, up in Ohio is going to start getting cold pretty soon and, and, and running the football is going to be effectively. And, and if other yeah. teams will come in and not be able to run the football, you're going to start see, 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 seeing teams throw the ball when they don't want to throw the ball and get turnovers and um, good things happen for us then. But, w- Willie, what, what, do you, what, what do the Bengals have with Joe Burrow? Because we saw some of it his rookie year. He got injured. And then it was on the shelf. And everybody was like, man, you saw the promise, though. And now you watch them this year, 22 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, almost 3,000 yards passing. Now when you look at Joe Burrow, what do you see now? Is he finally now like the – have the, the Bengals finally found that that franchise quarterback that they've been missing since Carson Palmer? Oh, man, they, they found it last year, man. You know, he was just mm. – he was out there, you know, and, and they, they knew – they had to do a better job of protecting him. Okay. Uh, I think I think Joe is a guy who's made to be quarter, made to be a quarterback in Cincinnati. Tough mm-hmm. guy, you know what I mean? Hard working blue collar city, but he still has the moxie of a superstar guy, but still has that down to earth, you know, feel that we as linemen, I, I say all the time on Twitter, you can tell the linemen, they they all dig him and they, they all rock with him because he's a guy that, that that goes hard, that fights hard, that that that's also gives his line credit. You know, even even during the times when he was getting beat up pretty bad, never see him throwing the ball down, shaming the lineman, you know. And those are the kind of guys you want to go out there and bust your tail for, man. As a lineman, you want to protect those kind of guys who you know off the field are going to rock with you, be around you. They're going to give their linemen some loving, some, some, some credit. When 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 all the cameras are in Joe's face, he's speaking, he's speaking about his linemen. And, you know, and right. to the average fan, you know, linemen don't get that much, that, that much credit or notoriety. So, when your star quarterback is calling your name out and calling your group out, saying they're doing a great job, that makes you want to go harder for him. And I, I've seen that since Joe has gotten here. This year, the team is just better. They're running the ball better. 
the defense is giving him turnovers. Like there's some games that Joe um, hasn't been at his best sometimes, but the team has given the ball back on defense. They've given the ball back and turned the ball back over, similar to what we were doing with for Carson Palmer in 05. He had a, he had a, he had a, a dynamic running game with Rudy Johnson. But the defense that year was leading the league in turnovers. And right. this defense they put together now is definitely helping Joe Burrow to be a great a great quarterback and the guys around him to stepping up, which allows him to be a superstar. You know, Willie, you mentioned that uh, Marvin Lewis was the architect of a lot of these teams as the head coach um, in, you know, early 2000s and until up until he was uh, let go as the uh, head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals. I don't know if Zach Taylor's getting enough credit because he brought in, he came into this and he had to really shape this team into his eyes. No doubt. No and doubt. it was it was hard in the beginning. We're like, no was doubt. he really the guy? And I'm looking now and I'm saying, it, why, why isn't he talked about as one of the smart, young, genius head coaches in the National Football League? I feel like he's done a tremendous job. And give Duke Tobin, you know, the, yeah. the Bengals de facto um, GM, GM credit yeah. for that because that's that's what he was brought in here to do. He was brought in here to come in and bring that that same shine and luster that the Rams have and, and bring right. in a, a dynamic offense to bring in a young, energizing team. And, and it took him a, it took him a while, you know, no fact, no doubts. And uh, I think people here in Cincinnati were, were kind of uneased because they didn't know what he was going to do. They didn't know what the plan was. And like like always, you know, the people on the outside don't really know the plan, but the guys inside stayed the course. And I think, like you say, I think Zach should get more um, national attention as like coach of the year because it, it is a big turnaround. It was a huge roster turnaround. You know what I mean? Um, for some reason, Mike Brown gets a, you know, the Bengals get a, a bad rip of not paying money. That's not true. The Bengals, the Bengals since the early 2000s have always been paying money. They paid money. And now they continue to do it. Now, I think this, this year they spent more money than they ever had in the history of the franchise. They brought in guys on the defense side of the ball and on the offensive side, offensive side of the ball. The, the, things are paying off right now. And you can tell right now, Zach has his guys mixed in in the mix and it feels good for them and it looks good for them and they're getting results. Well, we know the uh, Baltimore Ravens are kind of that team in that division this season and mm -hmm. they've been the last couple of years. How do you think that this Bengals teams, uh, this Bengal team kind of compares to the Baltimore Ravens? How do they match up? Well, you, you mentioned two teams already that, that, you know, perennially run this division, Pittsburgh right. and Baltimore. So if you if you're the other two teams, Cleveland and Bengals, you have to you have to build your team similar to those teams. Now, right. Ben has gotten old now, so the Pittsburgh model is kind of old right now. But Baltimore has kept it with defense, running the football, and a great quarterback. You know, Cleveland Cleveland thinks they have their guy at quarterback. The Bengals definitely have their guy at quarterback, and they also have they also have a defense as well. That when you saw early this season when Baltimore faced um, um, the Bengals. The Bengals outmatched them, you know, physically. They outmatched them talent-wise. Mm -hmm. And it was it was amazing to see because you, you really don't see that against those kind of Baltimore-built teams. And right. to see the Bengals doing it against Pittsburgh and Baltimore, you kind of see where they've structurally built this team up to compete with those two teams and, you know, quite frankly, dominate, which is surprising. You know, the, the Tyler Boyd's been there. T. Higgins has been there. And look, Willie, I know going against you during my career, this offense for the Bengals always had like a Chad Johnson, TJ Hushmanzada. You yeah. have big-time players. But tell me a little bit about Jamar Chase, man, the rookie wide receiver out of LSU. And what has he brought to the offense? What has he brought to the city? Well, all of us, you know, pre-draft, there, there was a, a semi-decent um, 
fan thing we had here called uh, the Civil War, and we where we all were uh, picking our sides on who to draft. Obviously, old old none old old line like myself, we all thought they should pick, you know, a lineman, and we yeah. we all were wrong. We were dead ass wrong. You know, dude, <laughs> dude is king of the city, man, and he he's revived this this city to something that they haven't seen since Chad. But he's also exciting. But the thing you said about this kid here, man, is the most impressive thing to me is the last couple of weeks, you know, team's been giving him double coverage. He's been getting right. over the top safeties. So the Bengals been running the ball. He's been blocking his ass off. Like, you, yeah. you, you see some of the runs that Mixon is running. It's chased out in front blocking. And to – I know it feels good to me as an ex-guy, but I know the current guys, once you're in the locker room and in the film room, you see the guy who's winning rookie of the week four, four weeks in a row, getting all his attention. He's down, grinding it out. He's not complaining about getting balls. Everybody in the city loves him. His teammates loves him. And he's, he's, he's a big play waiting to happen. Like, what he did against Baltimore early in the season, it was unbelievable. Yeah. Right? That's, that's, that's what he did to Marlon Humphrey. No one does it to Marlon Humphrey. And he made Marlon Humphrey apologize, bro. Like, it was like, I was like, damn. But the biggest thing to me is the kid's attitude, bro. His attitude as, as far as him blocking and constantly blocking, and you've seen the last three weeks, teams have been doubling him, and he's not complaining. He's doing things to make the team win. To me, those are biggest. Those are bigger attributes to me than him getting 200 yards a game. You know what I mean? So just being that guy that the team can count on, and they're, they're playing winning football, and he's just as happy last week watching T. Higgins go off dead than he is for himself. So that's a, that's a big, a big thing for me, man, to see as, as an old head guy, and I'm sure his teammates love it. Uh, you mentioned as an old head guy, but a, a Bengals alum, for sure. Now, people talking about the Bengals, and they're talking about how good this team is now. I, for an alum, how does that feel when we're talking Bengals and we're talking about them now in the spotlight, in the limelight, in these primetime matchups, mm-hmm. more about the talent that they have and how good they are rather than maybe how things have been in the past where we're talking about mm-hmm. maybe some dysfunction or guys trying to leave? Mm-hmm. Well, like, like, like I said, man, you know, um, that narrative, once Marvin got here for a long time, that narrative had stopped. You know what I mean? Yes, the tradition of what they had here in the 90s, I was part of the mid-90s and up until 2007 or 8. But that narrative kind of went away. You know, the, the, the Bengals have been one of the teams that's, that's been winning. Like I say, unfortunately, during those Marvin, Marvin Lewis-era teams, they couldn't win playoff games. But but now, it feels good now because I, I live in Atlanta in the offseason. Right now, I'm in Cincinnati right now. I live in Atlanta in the offseason. There's not many Bengals fans and Bengal bars down in Atlanta. Right. So me being able to brag and 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 um, talk noise about, about my team is a good feeling. Also, for the national spotlight for guys like myself and Tequil Spice and Chad Johnson, Corey Dillon, and Ken Riley, Ken Anderson. When you're talking about the Hall of Fame, the narrative sometimes for the Bengals is, oh, this this dumb dream down, you know, um, um, low ridden team. And that's right. not true. Like the, like the city guys in the spotlight now. We're hoping that the voters and people see it because because the Bengals do, does have a bad rap when it comes to Hall of Fame players and but this team has been exciting for a while. It just it just kind of goes up and down a little bit. So now while they're up, we're all loving it and, and hoping that it benefits you know everybody all around. No, I agree, man. Finally, getting the benefits of uh, the team winning and getting more accolades such as yourself, man, in 2022 Pro Football. Hall of Fame semifinalist, man. Willie, I appreciate the time. I know you're a busy guy, but... Man, I love hey, you, man. Hey, hey, appreciate the time, and uh, who day?
Who that, bro? Who that? <laughs> man, that is uh, Willie Anderson, man. The 13-year NFL career, 12 years with the Bengals, a year with the Ravens. Make sure you follow him on Twitter, at BigWillie7179 on Twitter, man. Follow him. Also, run, runs his own lineman camp. I want to make sure, man, all my offensive linemen, make sure you go down to the camp in Dunwoody, Georgia. WillieAndersonLinemanAcademy.net. Hey, man, Willie, again, appreciate the time, brother. All right, Kirk. Thanks, man. Hi, everyone. I'm Hall of Fame sportscaster Leslie Visser, and I've got a new podcast, In Conversation, where I'll draw from 45 years of covering the Final Four, the NBA Finals, Wimbledon, the World Series, the Super Bowl, the Olympics. CBS even sent me to the fall of the Berlin Wall. I think you'll enjoy the give and take. So subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts or listen on the SXM app included in most subscriptions. When it comes to teams that have kind of, I guess, exceeded my expectations, number one, it has to be, I think, the New England Patriots. Because before the season, they had just released Cam Newton. And then you have Mac Jones, the rookie quarterback out of Alabama. But the Patriots put all the faith in him. And all the faith you could see early on that, you know, the, the start that the Patriots got off to, they were one and three start. No one would have expected that the New England Patriots would be where they are right now currently. 12 games in, they are now eight and four. And they just beat the best team in the AFC in terms of record-wise. Right? They beat the Tennessee Titans. Tennessee Titans now fall to their 8-4. The New England Patriots are now 8-4. But it was kind of how it was done. And one of the things that you're seeing now from the New England Patriots is that they do have an identity. I was joking around because one of the wide receivers, Kendrick Bourne, who had two touchdowns in the game, right? He had five catches for 61 yards, two touchdowns. But kind of a play on words is his last name. Obviously, for all those born identity fans, I said, look, it's a newborn identity for the New England Patriots because this isn't the same season, same team that we saw this season. This isn't the same team that we saw last season. Everyone was really up in arms about what this Patriots team was going to look like minus or post the Tom Brady era. And so far this season, it is now starting to come where there is actually hope for the future. There's actually a path to the future. There's a bright spot in the future. And it all comes to their quarterback, Mac Jones, who was 23 of 32, 310 yards, two touchdowns, zero interceptions. And look, he has been on fire, on fire. His last six games, he's got nine touchdowns, only two interceptions. He's throwing the football more down the field, which we didn't see earlier in the season. It was more dinks and dunks. And we said, would that be good enough to win your games? Well, it's gone to a point where they're starting to open the playbook up more. And as they open the playbook up more, you're starting to see him be more confident, more confident in his throws and in the pocket. This New England defense also has picked up their uh, end of the bargain as well. They forced four turnovers, which were three fumbles and one interception. They held Ryan Tannehill to under 100 yards passing. I want to repeat that. They held him to under 100 yards passing. Now, you would say that's a pretty good feat in the NFL, but the Patriots defense did give up 270 yards rushing. 270, yeah, minus Derrick Henry. 
So that could be something that they need to kind of figure out a little bit. But overall, the mindset was not allow Ryan Tannehill to throw the ball deep down the field. They didn't allow that to happen. And I get it. There was no Derrick Henry. There was no A.J. Brown. There were no Julio Jones. And so that's the kind of the head scratcher for me is that New England won this football game, but they did it in a point where they caught the Tennessee Titans at the right time, missing a lot of guys. And so really, I understand that the victory seemed to be a little more lopsided, 36 to 16. But I wonder right now for Tennessee on the one end is that when they get healthy, how good they can be. But also, is New England really, really this good? I mean, defensively, they've got some standouts. One of the guys who's had a great standout season has been Matthew Judon. Last week, six tackles, a sack, tackle for a loss, two quarterback hits. Man, he's had five straight games with it with a sack, 11 and a half sacks on the year. He looks to be like the key free agent pickup for them, you know, outside the tight ends. But he's laid in a lot of lists when I talk about free agent signings of the year. Matthew Judon has been that. But I think overall, we expect the New England Patriots defense to be at least solid to great, right? When you have Bill Belichick, one of the greatest minds in the NFL, you, you expect that defense to be pretty solid, but they have been solid and then great at times. And they're going to continue to get better and better. They are the number one scoring defense in the NFL, meaning that they only allow 15.8 points per game. You're not going to score a ton of points on the Doom and the Patriots. That's how good that they are. But can they score offensively? And they did it last week, though, against Tennessee. Right? They did it last week. A couple of receivers, Jacoby Myers, five catches, 98 yards. I mentioned a little bit earlier, Kendrick Bourne. He had two touchdowns and 61 yards overall. Look, this team is now 12 games in, is starting to realize who they are identity-wise. They're first place in the AFC. They're half a game over the Buffalo Bills. And guess who the New England Patriots play twice over the next, what, month? Yeah, it's those Buffalo Bills. And that's how that game next week for them in week 13 is huge. Because we have this this sort of opinion about the, the, the Patriots that they're back. Or, you know what, this is what we expected from a Bill Belichick team. If they're able to beat the Buffalo Bills in week 13, oh yeah, you have my full attention. But right now you just have my attention. Not my full attention, but my attention. And I wanna see how what they can do against the team that we saw was just in last year's AFC Championship game in the Buffalo Bills. You beat the Bills, you have everyone's full attention. And also Mac Jones can enter himself, I think fully in supplant and just firm footing on the NFL's rookie of the year. That's how well he's been playing. So I want to see what happens now as he gets better. Before, look, you know, it was maybe Jamar Chase of the Cincinnati Bengals. I don't know now if, if, you know, I think honestly, if Mac Jones and this team, the Patriots are able to win all the way out and they win the division and he shows the success that he's been having so far during the season, he may be your NFL's rookie of the year, but it'd be something I would kind of keep my uh, my my, uh, my eyes peeled on for sure. But I'll learn, I mentioned before, I'm going to learn a lot more about Mac Jones and the New England Patriots against the Buffalo Bills next week because I want to see how does the Patriots, if they don't win the division, they still are a playoff team. 
But if they don't win the division, we all know what that means. It means you got to go on the road and get it done. Is this Patriots team better on the road or better at home? Obviously, they're better at home. So they got to show me that they can win with this next game being in Buffalo against the Bills, at the Bills, to be a big test for Mac Jones. So I'm interested to see that. And then also, too, it's, it's you know, one of the reasons that I kind of like where New England is at right now currently because they do run the football. They got a bunch of guys, you know, from Harris and Stevenson. They run it with multiple guys. But can they go on the road and get the same type of production that they've been getting over the last couple of weeks? It'll be interesting. Very, very interesting for this Patriots team. But I'm saying I'm I'm kind of all, all on board with this. I'm all on board with what they've been able to do, and I'm all on board. Now, my opinion could change how they play on Monday night, but man, it can go for a lot for, I think, people's minds in the NFL and for Bill Belichick that he's got his team right back in order. No, this is not all about the AFC East this week. No, I'm not trying to make it about the AFC East this week. But look, you got to give credit to where credit is due. Look, I talked to Patriots. They're on a nice little win streak. Now, also, too, the Buffalo Bills, right? Playing against uh, New England. So there's my talk for the week on the AFC East. But no, 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 I'm going to keep it going. Because with their fourth straight win, the Miami Dolphins now have improved to five and seven. So think about that. This team was one and seven a couple weeks ago. One and seven. And everyone's talking about Brian Flores' job. Will he be fired? Will he not? All I can say is that four weeks later, this team looks totally different. Look, they beat up on Cam Newton and the Carolina Panthers 33 to 10 in a game in which just never really looked like the Panthers had a chance. And Tua, Tua Tungavailoa, and he has heard the critics, the doubters, the naysayers. He's just kept his head level, kept his head grounded. Had one of his best games, 27 of 31, 230 yards, a touchdown. And he completed, he's completing right now over 70% of his passes. Now, a lot of that is too, because he likes to take the underneath throws, but he's starting to push the ball down the field a bit. And Tua is starting to come into his own. Four straight wins for the Dolphins and now we don't hear that same talk about remember it was about Deshaun Watson and I mentioned Flores getting fired you start winning games a lot of that goes away but then also too what's kind of re-emerged is the defense for the Miami Dolphins what I think a lot of us expected to see coming off the season that they had in 2020 this Dolphins defense has been playing lights out and we saw it last week on full display they forced three turnovers. They held Cam Newton to under 100 yards, and they recorded five sacks. Rookie Jalen Phillips, he had four tackles, three sacks, three tackles for loss, four quarterback hits. Man, they found a way to frustrate Cam Newton's uh, you know, game back with the Carolina Panthers, his third game back. Yeah, that, that's how you do it. It's frustrating. You frustrated, you hit them hard, and they did that. Also, the special teams unit for the Miami Dolphins yeah, the Duke Riley blocked a Carolina punt and Justin Coleman returned it for a touchdown. This is what we expected from the Miami Dolphins all year long. 
that they were going to play strong defense. They were going to play strong special teams. And Tua was going to take that leap. He's starting to take more of that leap. Jalen Waddle, his first round receiver, had nine catches, 137 yards, and a touchdown. They're starting to continue to get him the football more. They're spreading the ball around. And I think that's what Tua is starting to get comfortable. Okay. And also going back to Jalen Waddle, who leads the team in receiving. And Jalen Phillips leads in sacks. Safety Javon Holland, representing my high school, Bishop O'Dowd High School, by the way. He's got 46 tackles, two sacks, two interceptions. The rookies in Miami are making an impact. And honestly, that's kind of what happens midway to three quarters of the season. Rookies are no longer rookies anymore. Yeah, they'll have that tag next to them as it is their rookie year. But I go back to my career. I knew that I wasn't a rookie anymore. When you start to get halfway through the season, you know what your role is. You know what you're supposed to do. You know how to study. You know how to be in your playbook. You know how to go out there and play. And these rookies are starting to take off, man. Holland, Waddle, and Phillips. This is what I think Brian Flores had envisioned, that his team was going to be young in some areas. But if your young players can start to step up, then that's where you start to feel your team starting to have some success. And during this four-game win streak, right, four-game win streak for the Dolphins, they're holding their opponents to, guess what, 11 and a half points per game. So you're not even getting two touchdowns. You're getting a touchdown and maybe a field goal or a touchdown with the two-point conversion and a field goal. That's that's all you're getting. This defense is playing what I expected it to be. What's going to be downhill, in-your-face, aggressive, how Brian Flores had it last year. And I thought that that defense was going to be carrying his team into, I think, a possible first-place finish. Could it be? Because this is one of those years where, look, you didn't know what New England was going on. You, had, you know, Buffalo just had their big success last year going to the AFC Championship game. But there was a lot behind, you know, what was in front of them. And their defense is starting to play down. But currently, they're the 13th seed, right, in the AFC. They're behind the, the Chargers, Raiders, Broncos, Colts, Steelers. So it's nice and jumbled. There you go, the Browns in there. It's jumbled in the AFC. But they've got an opportunity to continue to keep piling up the victories. And if they get to 500, I think all bets are off, man. you got to start taking the Miami Dolphins seriously. Now, their next game against the New York football Giants, who, you know, not having their, the greatest of seasons as well, and in this comeback attempt for the Miami Dolphins, they beat them. Now they're six and seven. Now you gotta really, really take the Miami Dolphins serious because well, we all knew that Tua can do it, but now they're starting to prove it on the field. And that's one of the things that I'm looking at how Miami has gotten so much success. Remember Tua was also hurt, not 100%. He looks to be 100%. And I'm saying that he is doing enough to help his team win now. He is now a factor. He is now a guy that is starting to understand where he can get the football to and where, you know, he can not, you know, take a sack here or keep himself healthy. Two is starting to do that. And it took a while, but it's starting to now come all together. Can this team make a playoff run the Miami Dolphins? I don't think so. Now, what they're doing is winning. And I just wanted to give them their credit. They're winning. But are they one of the seven best teams in the AFC? Right now, no. Obviously, I love Baltimore. We're talking about the Buffalo Bills. Um, you got to love the Cincinnati Bengals are on their side of the division. Then you talk about the uh, the AFC West. They got three teams at six and five, plus the Kansas City Chiefs. So 
is this a playoff team in the Miami Dolphins? That's why I say no. I just think it's some other stronger teams. But this is a fringe team. Yes. Are they going to make some people upset? Absolutely. Look, down the stretch, they got the New York Giants that we just talked about, the New York Jets, but then they got New Orleans, Tennessee, and New England. And that's going to be tough, especially those last two games. If Derrick Henry is back for Tennessee in time, and we know the Patriots, how tough they are. So look, could this team make the playoffs? Absolutely, but this is going to be difficult because you there's no room for error because of how they started the season. The Packers are back to being the Packers, right? They knock off the Rams this week, and uh, what is up with the Los Angeles Rams? Or more so, what is going on with the Packers? After coming off the loss to the Minnesota Vikings the week prior, the Packers, with their win, they improved to 9-3 with a 36-28 win over the Rams. And I honestly don't even know if it was that close, 36-28. Aaron Rodgers threw the ball 45 times, which I was sort of scratching my head a little bit. But he had 307 yards, 28 touchdowns, and another game with no interceptions. 23 touchdowns, four interceptions on the season for a guy who barely practiced. He's not practicing because he's got a broke toe. And, you know, before that, he had COVID. And then before that, it was a Thursday game. He truly hasn't practiced in a very, very long time. And these are the performances that Aaron Rodgers is putting up. But I saw something different, man. This defense is playing outstanding. I mean, they had they forced three turnovers of Matthew Stafford, the pick six by Rasul Douglas, who they signed off the practice squad, and then Kenny Clark had six tackles a sack, one tackle for loss, two quarterback hits. Combined with him and Kingsley Kiki, man, this defensive front has been out looking for blood. It really has. Look, in three seasons under Matt LaFleur, Green Bay has never lost two games in a row. Can you believe that? They have never lost two games in a row. They seem to make the right corrections. They seem to be in tune with what the message is each and every week. And I think just how outstanding that is for a team to never lose two in a row, like that is unreal. They lose one and they just go on streaks. They feel like, hey, we can find something to lean on and get better at. And they did. They got better at running the football this week. And I don't think people talk enough about the Green Bay Packers and how well not only they can run the football, but the bigger thing is, remember everyone said, oh, we should have drafted a wide receiver. Why didn't we draft a wide receiver in the first round? And they don't ever give Aaron Rodgers weapons and all. Well, they drafted A.J. Dillon a couple seasons ago. And A.J. Dillon is probably the best thing that they got going right now. As the weather starts to get cold in many parts of the country, you got to be able to have some sort of a running game. That's what A.J. Dillon presents. He's not Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones is an all-everything back. He can run. He can catch out of the backfield. He's a mismatch nightmare. But what they do, they have a bruiser back in A.J. Dillon. They got a guy who can wear defenses down. A.J. Dillon is doing that, man. He's doing that. He had 20 carries for 69 yards last week. Aaron Jones had 10 carries for 23 yards. So offensively, this Packers team has got it going on. Right? Rodgers completing passes to eight different receivers and Devontae Adams getting eight catches on nine targets, 104 yards. 
this is a much better offense than I expected this season. And they're still getting healthy. Now they're going to be banged up along the offensive front. They've lost a couple guys for the season. They've also, if you think about it, you know, are without Robert Tanyan. So what they're doing now is you should applaud this Packers offense. But maybe should I be applauding the defense even further? Man, the defense is playing lights out, man. I mentioned Kingsley Kiki, but they're without Jair Alexander. They're without guys that can be real difference makers on this on this defense. But they continue to play, watching Adrian Amos last week, watching Eric Stokes, the first-round rookie. This defense is really, really improved. And that's why the Packers have a three-and-a-half game lead in the NFC North, so you can kind of almost wrap up that division. They're the number two seed in the NFC, but they're 5-0 and at home. And if they're able to win out, and they do have the tiebreaker over the Arizona Cardinals with their win at the Cardinals on a Thursday night. I know that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did it last year, but we know it's just such a difficult place to play, especially in later in January for an NFC championship game. Yeah, that's the possible place of the conference championship if the Packers are able to continue to keep winning and get that number one seed in the NFC. But they get a week off. They don't play this week, so Aaron Rodgers can tend to the toe. He can get it healed up as much as possible. Doesn't need much, uh, doesn't need surgery, I don't think. But hey, you never know what he may feel he wants to do during the bye week. I think it doesn't really matter because I saw him go out and play on that toe. And maybe it just needs rest. So if they get the rest that's needed, I think that they can make one last push down the stretch. They need that time off. They need that extra week to heal up. And I think it'll be a little bit different than in years past, right? They've made three conference championships of recent, you know, even last year against Tampa Bay. Before that, um, they were in a conference championship against the 49ers. I think they have a different identity now with some of the running backs and the running game that they can do. That is part of why I like what's going on currently with the Green Bay Packers because they're a team that's been there and they're starting to turn it on at the right time. Is Arizona turning it on at the right time? We'll see. You know, they finally get back after their bye week. It will be close. But right now I'm leaning towards the Packers because if they've been able to play great defense, they've been able to hold teams back on third down. And when you have those formulas working for you, those ingredients, those recipes, it's a hard team to be out. So I'm going I'm going right now with what the Packers are doing. And I honestly, honestly believe that they will be the team that represents the NFC. They are that good. And they got some games down the stretch that I don't think that people will be able to hang with what I think the Aaron Rodgers and his offense can go to this season. And the last game I want to talk about was honestly Monday night, and I'm trying to figure it out. I'm trying to figure it out. The Washington football team improved to five and six. They hung on for a victory, right? 17-15. And look, it was a Kendall Fuller interception of Russell Wilson on a two-point conversion that kind of ended the game. That had some moments at the end of 15-17. And if the Seahawks get that two-point conversion, now, you know, you got an opportunity where the game's tied and you got to go out and, and win. Look, Seahawks in that scenario, we've seen it too many times with Russell Wilson. But what I'm more upset about when I watch the Seahawks is that this is a team that looks like it has no juice. 
Like it has no energy. And that's what Russell Wilson was kind of clamoring for, right? He was clamoring for a new offensive coordinator. He got one. But what I see from right now, between the ears, it looks like, of a Russell Wilson, is that he's just not playing well. He's missing layups. I mean, the easy throws. Something that I just did not expect from him. Now, he could be banged up from that finger still, but you can't be just airmailing the football. That's just not what you do. Last night, he was not the better quarterback on the field. It was Taylor Heineke, who was 27 of 35, 223 yards, a touchdown, one interception. But in the last three games that we've seen this Washington football team play well, he's got five touchdowns to one interception. That's why they've got a winning formula. Throw in Antonio Gibson and McKissick, J.D. McKissick. That's 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 a nice little two-headed two-headed team right there. This is a, a tandem, a nice little duo. Guys that are going back and forth, they give you a ton of experience, they give you a ton, I, I think, of explosion. That's what when I look at Antonio Gibson for 111 yards on 29 carries, that's called being a workhorse back. In Seattle, when but when has Seattle just been a team that ha- can't run the football? That's what it seems like they can't do. On Monday Night Football, 34 yards. That's all they had. J.D. McKissick, I mentioned, had seven carries. The former Seahawk, now Washington football team member. Seven carries, 30 yards, a rushing touchdown. Out of the backfield, five catches, 26 yards, a receiving touchdown. Look, he was a little bit banged up, was caught off the field. I'm sure that he looks like he'll be back. But I love that the Washington football team right now is utilizing all the guys who are eligible. Right. If you're eligible to catch a pass, they're going to throw one to you. And the emergence of coming back from injury is Logan Thomas. Now they got a tight end, a big tight end who's really been their go to threat. He is now back from injury. Now you throw in Carter and obviously McLaurin. This is an offense that's really starting to take shape under Scott Turner. Now, it took them a while, but remember their first I mean, their quarterback to start week one was Ryan Fitzpatrick, who got injured. So with Taylor Haneke finally coming into his own at the position of understanding what is expected of him, that's why I think that they're playing well. They're playing well at the right time. It's only the third time since FedEx Field opened in 1997 that the Washington football team has won a primetime home game. Can you believe that? Well, they did it now, and they did it with the belief. So currently, they're sitting in that seventh spot, the final spot in the playoffs in the NFC. They hold tiebreakers over the Vikings, Falcons, and Saints, but they got to keep it moving. And they've got the Raiders at Las Vegas. It's going to be a tough one. But if you're looking at their upcoming schedule, they'll play Dallas twice. They'll play Philadelphia. They'll play against the Giants. This division is right there in their hands for the Washington football team or at least the playoffs for sure. Now, they may need some help from Dallas, but man, you play against them twice. So it could be that the Washington football team holds their destiny in their hands. And I believe that defensively, they can get it there. I'm not thinking that Taylor Heineke is going to be Brett Favre or Tom Brady or Drew Brees. That's not who he is as a quarterback. But what I am saying is that I think he is going to be a guy that is going to continue to move the sticks hand the ball up, just be a game manager and make plays when you're needed. He's going to scramble and make a play, die for the end zone pylon. That's who he is as a quarterback, but I trust in him that he will continue to have that success. Now on the other side, when it comes to Seattle, they're not having fun. I mean, 
Think about this. DK Metcalf had one catch. He's one of the best receivers in the league. One catch. Russell Wilson looks lost in this offense. I would never have thought that. They only had, think about it as a team, they had 12 rushes. That's not Seattle Seahawks football. And that's the reason why I feel like this is just not working for them. Something has to give. And I'm not saying it's the head coach. Maybe it's the offensive coordinator. Maybe it's Russell Wilson who's just not engaged like he normally is. There's something that needs to get fixed with the Seattle Seahawks because they let Tyler Heineke, to me, a, a sort of journeyman quarterback, they made him look like a real life good starting quarterback in the National Football League. That's that's what this this defense for Seattle has looked like. So I'm not putting in any stock in the Seattle. Their season is over. They're three and eight. Think about it. They have to win the rest of their games, right? Six games just to go nine and eight. This could be a losing season for the Seattle Seahawks. And what does that mean for the future of Russell Wilson? Future of Pete Carroll. I think Pete will be back, but will Russell Wilson have that same sort of excitement about the team? We shall see. Now, the other hand, for Taylor Heineke, I don't know if he's the future of Washington football, but what I'm saying is a guy who's getting the job done right now. They have a plan in place. They have a vision in place. They have a standard in place. And I think that's all Taylor Heineke wants, right? He's saying, look, I got this. I know the position I'm in. And maybe if he plays even a little bit better, this could be his starting position come next season. A couple players of the week, outstanding performances of week number 12. He used to be Lombardi Lenny. Now he's Leonard for net. That's right. For net, meaning four touchdowns that he had on Sunday. Wow. 17 carries, 100 yards, three touchdowns rushing, seven catches, 31 yards for a touchdown. So four touchdown total for Leonard for net against the Indianapolis Colts, man. A job well done. And it was just a couple seasons ago where no one wanted to sign a guy like Leonard Fournette. Remember, he was he's released by the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's going on to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And man, he has fit right in. Already a Super Bowl champ and now trying to go for number two. Now, the defensive player of the week is a guy who I had a chance to go and talk with a mirror during training camp. And Patrick Sertan II is one of the most imposing young players in the National Football League. When I walked into that Denver facility and watching the training camp practice and having a chance to talk to him after practice, Patrick Sertan is like, he's like a freak of nature. <laughs> I mean, this dude is about as tall as a safety, maybe taller, has feet of a short corner. He has the strength, I think, of a linebacker. And he's got the ability to just cover and be physical. That's what Patrick Sertan II is. And last week, big game for him, five tackles, two interceptions. And so he is my defensive player of the week after making a big splash and getting a couple of INTs. So, man, shout out to Patrick Sertan II being my defensive player of the week. Man, 
man, that was a blast. Week 12 is now in the book. We are now to week, is it unlucky or is it lucky? Week 13 in the NFL. I can't put my hand or my finger on who's the favorites. Outside of the Packers and the NFC, I don't think there's a favorite in either conference outside of, like I said, Green Bay. So we sit back, we wait, we watch as it all plays out. And at the end, we just take our inventory. Because if you're trying to guess right, Right now, it's just not going to work. It is too much going on. Teams are healthy. They're not. They're on COVID list. They're not. This guy's hurt. Man, when the season is over, we'll be able to take a big, deep breath. Again, you can find the Total Coverage Podcast on Apple, on Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you sign up. Total Coverage. Click subscribe, rate, and also you can reach me at Kirk Morrison on Twitter at Kirk Morrison on Instagram. I answer all of your questions, all of your thoughts. You let me know what you think as well as we head into week number 13 of the National Football League. Man, it's been a blast. Can't wait to talk to you guys next week as we always do. Check you out later. Good football, y'all. Total coverage is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Mike Kinahan. The associate producers are Chris Tyler and Denny Gallagher. Andy King is the director of sports podcasting for SiriusXM. And special thanks to SiriusXM's senior vice president of sports programming and podcasting, Steve Cohen. Serious XM Podcasts.